All right, what is up, you guys? Welcome to the Abstract Audio Podcast. I'm your host, Eric. We have quite an exciting show today. We have a nine-year-old admitted to rehab for Fortnite addiction. We have IHOP trolling the internet. And we have Kanye West and the crazy genius Stigma. Um, And then we will be finishing up with the upcoming sneaker release review and an article on seeing opinions we agree with as facts and how it may be harder to challenge your opinion than you'd think. But before we get into that, I wanted to remind you guys that the playlist is live. That being, if you remember last week, um, the Drake and Pusha T playlist got pushed because in celebration of Wayne. So now uh, this week's playlist is the Drake and Pusha T playlist. Um, not necessarily a versus, but more so uh, just to celebrate this moment in hip hop, because regardless of where this all ends up, um, it's undeniably historic. So at least in hip hop's regard. Um, and I also wanted to remind you guys that next week will be the Nasir album review. Um, granted that it's on Apple Music or Spotify by that time. So uh, look forward to that. All right, with that being said, let's get into our first story. We are going to start with a bit of tech news. Uh, So Netflix links with Telltale Games to incorporate interactive storytelling experiences. So Netflix and Telltale Games have joined forces to add more interactive experiences to the streaming platform. It's confirmed that Telltale's Minecraft Story Mode will kick things off this fall as a five-part episodic journey that will be controlled by the commands or by commands through any remote with select and directional buttons. This will allow the player to make calculated in-game dialogue decisions as battle options are rumored to have been eliminated from the final rollout. Uh, Kind of interesting, I wonder why. Maybe it just didn't apply correctly, like it didn't um, meet whatever expectation they had. Um, So in addition, Telltale Games is also said to be launching a separate project inspired by the Netflix original series Stranger Things. At the moment, there's no confirmation on the forthcoming Stranger Things-inspired project. Uh, I'm extremely excited for that, to see a Telltale game in the Stranger Things universe. Um, Typically, whatever universe they tackle, they do a pretty good job at. Um, If you guys are unfamiliar with Telltale games, they're not video games in the traditional sense, um in that you're not really running, jumping, shooting. There might be a little bit of that, but it's mainly narrative-based and story. There's a a large emphasis on the story and the dialogue choices that you make and how they affect the outcome. And uh, it it is fascinating in that regard. You know, initially when when I saw my first Telltale game, I was put off by it. Because it just seemed, you know, anticlimactic, very boring. But uh, really the range of outcomes you can get based on your dialogue choices are pretty interesting. Like you can end up with a whole different cast, you know, so there are deep, you know, your options have real consequences. There can be character deaths, um, just an entirely different setting, you know, so on and so forth. So really at the end of it, you can have a friend that's playing the same game but end up with two completely different outcomes. You know, an entirely different cast of characters at the end, maybe in a different setting, whatever, right? Um, So in that regard, they're pretty exciting and interesting, and I think it's a perfect game that applies to something like Netflix, and I'm really excited to see this venture going forward. Um, If you guys are familiar with uh, Detroit Become Human, it's a video game that just recently came out, I think on pretty much every major platform, um, but it featured, so so it, it essentially was that same thing where it's a playable story. There's very little, in, in that game, there's a bit more action, but still just in the overall, I would say in the overall amount of gameplay, it, it's mainly narrative, and, um, and I thought that looked fucking amazing. I watched a little bit of gameplay, and I thought it looked, uh, it looked pretty awesome, and also, interestingly enough, they had real, real-world real actors uh, mo-capped and voice-acting in it. Uh, there was Valerie Curry and Jesse Williams, and um, 
So I don't know. There's a whole Detroit Become Human to me really, really was a perfect example of what a playable story could be. So immediately when I read this article, that's what I drew a line to. Um, because that one, the graphics are phenomenal. The story is rich and deep. And um, I don't know, man, it, it seems like it'll work perfectly. And it just depends on how people will react to it. If they, you know, if they gravitate to it or uh, if they're too used to playing action based video games. Um, so I look forward to this. I think it's an awesome added option for Netflix and given if it is successful, just thinking out loud right now, if it is successful, um, I think we'll see a, you know, be like an additional cost onto your monthly Netflix membership. Who knows? Maybe it will be you'll have to pay from it for it from the jump, you know, right when it comes out on Netflix. But that would be an entirely new business model for Netflix, because really, it's always been, you know, uh, subscription based. So. I don't know, but I could see it being two tiers of subs- of uh, subscription. I mean, they already have tiers. I think that just dictates how many people can be watching at the same time. But I could see in the future, granted that this, you know, narrative-based video game takes off, I could see it being a tiered system where, okay, you have standard Netflix or you have the Netflix Plus gaming, if you will. Um, but I don't know. All speculation. Uh, I'm excited for the venture regardless. So uh, staying in tech and video game news, we have a story of a nine-year-old girl sent to rehab for Fortnite addiction. So a UK family recently placed their nine-year-old daughter in rehab for her addiction to Fortnite after she wet herself rather than stop playing to use the restroom. Um, After buying an Xbox One in January, the family soon noticed their daughter's obsessive nature, with the girl's mother stating, We got called in by her head teacher asking if everything was okay. She had fallen asleep twice in lessons and her grades were slipping. When we asked our daughter what the problem was, she became unusually argumentative and aggressive, which we just put down to her hormones. After skipping church on numerous occasions and saying she was too tired to attend extracurricular activities, The girl's father found her sitting in a urine-soaked chair playing the game. I found her backside was red raw. She was so hooked to the game she wouldn't even go to the toilet, the father said. After she admitted to playing the game until 5 a.m. while her parents slept, they admitted her for psychotherapy after meeting an addictions counselor who has stated he's been contacted by several parents with Fortnite-addicted children. Does Fortnite seem to be more addictive than your average game? Um, so this is interesting on a couple of levels. It, it seems like clearly it's a mental, just just an addiction in the clearest sense. Um, and I think, you know, them just recently getting an Xbox also has a lot to do with it. Because this girl probably didn't know, you know, she wasn't used to video games and just the stimulation that they bring. So it very much seems like, yeah, she just kind of got got hooked on it from the jump and her passive parents allowed it to escalate because I, I also think with uh, with better parenting and just being stricter and setting, you know, a set, a, you know, an allotted time period to play the video game a day, it, that, that kind of that will clearly help. And, you know, before it gets to this level. Um, but then it does get to this extent and, uh, and I'm glad the parents at least took her to, what was it? An addicted, an addictions counselor. Um, but it is interesting, you know, so, so that's, that's good on them, but I feel like they could have really done stuff before, you know, taken action before it got to this extent. Um, it's fascinating, though, because it does seem to me like Fortnite really has hooked a lot of people, not in not in damaging ways like this, but um, just in general, it seems like it's popularity. And, and I was wondering recently, it could just be that it's a, you know, just the game style and the gameplay is well crafted and therefore making a exciting, fun and just in turn addicting video game um 
but I don't know. I I I jump to making assumptions like maybe it's the colors that they use that are very stimulating. Um, you know, cause it is a beautiful world. Like the art design I think is, is gorgeous, but, uh, I don't know, man. It's just kind of crazy fucking kids getting addicted to Fortnite, especially to this extent. And then the psychiatrist saying that he's seen several parents with Fortnite addicted children. So I guess just impose stricter parenting, um, apply limits so that you won't have to end up taking your child to an addictions counselor and uh, and don't dismiss their erratic behavior or newfound erratic behavior, even more informational as hormones. I mean, that shit is crazy. It's clearly signs of addiction. So just be parents, I guess. Just be parents. Um, but fascinating story, man. And it's crazy that that seems to be a growing epidemic. Uh, very scary for sure. But I think good parenting will negate that and it'll prevent, you know, uh, young children from becoming addicts to anything. Um, All right. Now, nextly, we have the epic Internet troll that is IHOP or now newly found IHOP. So the fast food world trolls IHOP for changing its name to IHOP. Uh, After announcing its new IHOP name recently, IHOP has now suffered the repercussions of for the name change. The addition of the B, would, which represents the chain's new offering of burgers, has been met with jokes from other fast food outlets, including Wendy's, Waffle House, and Burger King. Wendy's response to the news saw the chain tweet, Remember when you were like seven and thought changing your name to Thunder Bear Sword would be super cool? Before adding, our cheeseburgers are still better. Waffle House and Burger King both went for more subtle disses, as Waffle House tweeted a very fitting Bruce Lee quote, and Burger King changed its name and logo to Pancake King. Uh, And so, so Wendy's full response reads, remember when you were like seven and thought that changing your name to Thunder Bear Sword would be super cool like that, but our cheeseburgers are still better. Waffle House tweeted the aforementioned Bruce Lee quote, long-term consistency trumps short-term intensity. Uh, A&W tweeted out a photo of their logo flipped and with the caption reading, we don't know what it means either. So inspired by the International House of Burgers announcement, we're also changing our name. Please do not ask us what it means. We don't know either. And then Burger King uh, changed the their entire name to Pancake King and the logo to Pancake King, which seems pretty savage, right? Um, but someone tweeted at Wendy's with the question, Wendy's thoughts on IHOB or IHOB. Um, they responded, we can't wait to try a burger from the place that decided pancakes were too hard. And, uh, and IHOB uh, replied, with we don't want any beef with you. We just wanted to share our beef with the world. What a fucking time, man. This I feel like this is the pinnacle of uh social media. Like this is the beauty of it. Um <laughs> I don't know, man. That shit's obviously hilarious. Um, but the the name change in general, they they recently it was it was fascinating for the time being because they had it, you know, it was a running joke. And there was no evidence that it was just a joke. You know, people speculated that it could be serious. Um, but it's it's since come out that it's only a publicity stunt. And it's not, you know, of course, not permanent. Uh, although they are, I think, redecorating some locations with the quote-unquote new branding. And um, all for promotional purposes. But uh, this is what's interesting to me is the promotional aspect because it proves to be pretty genius when you really think about it because you have not only the internet talking about it i think it was trending like two days in a row top five or or even number one one of those times um and i was blown away by it you know for it to be trending number one in the world um or maybe it's just no it's just number one in the u.s but still to be number one in the u.s is fucking crazy ihop fucking ihop um so that was that obviously proved it to be working already, right? 
But then, you know, articles like all over the internet, me talking about it, multiple outlets I've seen talking about it. I think Charlemagne even commented on it uh, on one of the Breakfast Club. Uh, maybe it got Donkey of the Day or something. I swear I remember seeing a thumbnail with it. But um, regardless, it's getting a ton of coverage. And uh, even on top of that, you have your, you know, the other fast food social media accounts tweeting about it and giving you that publicity so I think it worked perfectly I mean it couldn't have gone any better so hats off to IHOP and oh that also I wanted to mention when I first heard IHOP because they teased it a couple days before they revealed that it would be International House of Burgers they teased it and they were like this is going to be our new name IHOP what are your guys's guesses or something something of that nature and obviously, I think most people would probably assume, okay, International House of Breakfast. First off, the name change sounds super suspect. You know, super fucking weird. I don't even know if it makes sense. But, okay, say, say we believe you. You're changing your name to IHOP. Well, it's got to be International House of Breakfast, right? It just makes sense. Maybe you don't want to emphasize pancakes. You just want a wider... You want to emphasize a wider menu, I guess, right? Um, and then for it to be burgers was also just just all the more mind-blowing i think to most people that kind of gave it away oh, okay this is clearly not you know this is clearly not real but um i don't know hats off to ihop 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 for the time being whatever you want to call them um fucking next level internet trolling and promotion so following that we have some fashion news so virgil abloh announces the theme for Off-White's spring-summer 19 show. Um, so with just six days to go, five days, I believe, now, uh, until Virgil Abloh presents the Off-White spring-summer 2019 collection during Paris Fashion Week, the designer has now announced that the runway show will be a tribute to Dondi White. White was a world-famous graffiti artist who died of AIDS at the age of 37 in 1998. Uh, explaining the theme, Abloh added it would be, quote-unquote, highlighting his legacy in art and that proceeds would be donated to God's Love We Deliver, a New York-based charity that de- that delivers nutritious meals to people in the area with, se- with severe illness. Uh, Kaz also shared his thoughts on the news, posting a picture of White's Bishop of Battle. Uh, that's the title of the work. And adding that he was looking forward to seeing what you're up to in regards in in comment to Virgil Abloh. Uh, The Off-White Spring-Summer 2019 show is on June 20th with Abloh's first Louis Vuitton collection to be unveiled a day later. So fascinating shit, at least in in, to me, um, I'm extremely excited to see this collection. Uh, Well, extremely excited to see anything new from Off-White, period. But extremely excited to see um, the first, the initial Louis Vuitton collection. Um, So I wonder if you guys share in that excitement. I hope you do. It's fascinating times, uh, beautiful times to see Virgil at the head of Louis Vuitton. So now getting into a bit more uh, unfortunate news, I guess. So Millie Bobby Brown leaves Twitter. If you guys are unfamiliar, uh, Millie Bobby Brown is uh, 11 in the Stranger Things series. So uh, she, the 14-year-old Stranger Things star deleted her Twitter account Wednesday. The hashtag TakeDownMillieBobbyBrown started last year, according to one Twitter user, when someone claimed in a tweet that the actress refused to take a picture with her unless she removed her hijab. Uh, when the woman refused, she alleges that Brown then pulled off the pulled off the hijab for her. So the Twitter user says it started with this. Then she tweeted hashtag take down Millie Bobby Brown, which her followers jumped on and it became a full blown meme. Uh, the user that started it all being Kelsey Fiona and that tweet reading, I saw Millie Bobby Brown in the airport and asked for a pic. And she said, only if you remove the hijab. And I said, it's my faith. And she aggressively pulled it off my head and stamped on it. Um, And yes, I'm reading that right. She said stamped on it. Um, And then in response, someone says, you don't even have a hijab on in your profile picture. 
And Kelsey responds, because she ripped it off me. So clearly a joke, right? Kind of. I mean, it, it's clearly in a joking nature. Um, well, kind of clearly. That's the thing is, is some people that do not know who they're even talking about, they look up Millie Bobby Brown. This is their initial impression of her. And they don't know if it's fucking true or not. Um, so they go on, the article reads on, there's no evidence the incident actually occurred. Um, the hashtag was used to spread stories, many of them with outrageous details, falsely linking Brown to homophobia. Brown has been an outspoken supporter of GLAD's Together movement. Uh, other social media users expressed support for Brown, who remains active on Instagram. One user saying, wow, humanity really is the worst. Y'all bullied Millie Bobby Brown into deactivating her Twitter. Hopefully you feel real good about tearing down a 14-year-old who's, mo who's more successful than you'll ever be. Uh, another user saying, oh, yikes, I just saw that stuff with Millie Bobby Brown. Some people on this app are just so vile and unfunny. Um, so Brown is the latest celebrity to be bullied online. The Last Jedi star Kelly Marie Tran recently quit Instagram after months of racist backlash regarding the inclusion of her character Rose Tico in the film. So I don't know, man. I, I, uh, I found this story so bizarre and just... I guess destructive for no reason is kind of where I'm at with it. Um, I get that this seems to me like it's just the internet being bored, right? And they need to create some random shit, just a random hashtag to entertain themselves. And, uh, and just other t some can be more destructive than others. And I guess in this case, the internet doesn't really consider that. Because in regards to it just being a joke... I don't know, man. Um, Philly D really brought to light that it's it's damaging for that reason, you know, for new people who aren't familiar with Millie Bobby Brown. And uh, if that's their first impression, how the hell do they know that it's all a lie? Because someone, I believe, on Twitter had mentioned that that, that is the hilarity of the meme, it, you know, is that most people know that Millie Bobby Brown would never do anything like that. She's an activist for multiple organizations. She's very positive um, and just a promising young actress, right? And so, uh, and that stands true for the majority of the U.S., I would say. But there's also, you know, the, the social media is a bubble and you really don't know you know, you, you think you know that everyone knows this person. It's not actually the case. And uh, I don't know, man. And, and for her to leave, I guess, is the best option, you know, to leave temporarily. Um, just to dis disassociate herself with any of the bullshit. But uh, it, it really is gross, man. It really is gross to see the internet um, just bored. So they feel like they need to do some shit like this that could potentially be damaging. But then again, it doesn't really matter because it's just a celebrity and they're there for the expense of our entertainment, right? Um, so hopefully, you know, people consider their actions, which I, I don't, I'm not very hopeful for. But uh, the Internet is going to act like the Internet does. And uh, I'm just glad that, you know, Millie, Millie Bobby Brown distanced herself from it and she's clearly you know young promising intelligent and i don't think this will phase her in the long run i think it was more so um just strategic to remove her account hopefully it's not affecting her emotionally because it's just you know people bored on the internet and um mind you usually grown people that don't understand their fun is at the expense of possible damage to someone's career so, uh, yeah, keep your head high, Millie, and, um, I don't know, just the internet, doing internet shit. So this next story, pretty fascinating. If you guys are familiar with uh, radio personality Peter Rosenberg, he's associated with the radio station Hot 97. He's one of their main three hosts. Um, I believe it was the morning of the Yay release. You know, in conversation, he made mention that Drake wrote on Yikes, the second song on Kanye's newest album. And um, he mentioned that it was odd that he was left off of the album credits. 
and you know definitely odd timing i would agree with that um but i didn't know where he was getting this information from if it was you know based in assumptions i I was gonna hold off to see if if it held true and um today we're getting news that it actually was true peter was right so confirming early rumors drake officially received a co-writing credit on kanye west yikes record uh, shortly after Kanye released his eighth studio album, Yay, Peter Rosenberg of Hot 97 noted on air that Drake was responsible for the hook on the song, but for some reason was left off the credits. The radio host also went on to point out the interesting timing, as the Canadian and Good Music's Pusha T are currently embroiled in a fierce beef. Without any clear explanation, Kanye's camp has now added Aubrey Graham, a.k.a. Drake, to the list of 11 lyricists and composers for Yikes on Tidal. So, um, I think that's a feature that's unique to Tidal. They really, uh, they have all of the credits listed. Um, but this is just also interesting timing because I believe it was just yesterday that Kanye tweeted out something to the effect of... Sometimes I have trouble saying no because I want to help everyone. Uh, obviously not not at all directly related to them adding Drake to the credit or, or giving Drake the credit for his writing. But um, interesting. I mean, who knows if the move was actually made in spite of Drake. You know, the move to initially leave him off. I don't know. I mean, I guess we'll never know. Um, but very interesting. So now, before we get into the next story, I wanted to briefly recap uh, Spotify's recent response to their, what was a hateful conduct policy, I believe. So earlier this month, Spotify rolled out a new conduct policy that removed controversial artists like XXXTentacion and R. Kelly from its official playlist. Since then, representatives for superstars like Kendrick Lamar have threatened to pull their music from the popular streaming services, and listeners have rushed to social media to bash the maneuver. Now, following this week's apology from Chief Executive Officer Dan Eck, Spotify has decided to pull the plug on its strategy for, tra- for tackling hateful conduct. So, in a statement posted to Spotify's official media site, the streaming platform shared the following. Spotify recently shared a new policy around hate content and con- and conduct. And while we believe our intentions were good, the language was too vague. We created confusion and concern and didn't spend enough time getting input from our own team and key partners before sharing new guidelines. It's important to note that our policy had two parts. The first was related to promotion to promotional decisions in the rare cases of those most extreme artist controversies. As some have pointed out, this language was vague and left too many elements open to interpretation. We created concern that an allegation might affect an artist's chances of landing on Spotify's playlist and negatively impact their future. Some artists even worried that mistakes made in their youth would be used against them. That's not what Spotify is about. We don't aim to play judge and jury. We aim to to connect artists and fans. And Spotify playlists are a big part of how we do that. Our playlist editors are deeply rooted in their uh, respective cultures and their decisions focused on on what music will positively resonate with their listeners. That can vary greatly from culture to culture and playlist to playlist. Across all genres, our role is not to regulate artists. Therefore, we are moving away from implementing a policy around artist conduct. The second part of our policy addressed hate content. Spotify does not permit content whose principal purpose is to incite hatred or violence against people because of their race, religion, disability, gender identity, or sexual orientation. As we've done before, we will remove content that violates that standard. We're not talking about offensive, explicit, or vulgar content. We're talking about hate speech. We will continue to seek ways to impact the greater good and further the industry we all care so much about. We believe Spotify has an opportunity to help push the broader music community forward through conversation, collaboration, and action. We're committed to working across the artist and advocacy communities to help achieve that. 
So as other outlets have noted, Spotify has also added XXX Tentacion's music to one of its more high-profile playlists. So I think the initial decision was entirely reactionary. Um, although I do admire the effort, I don't think it's on Spotify to be the ones to enforce that. Um, because it's for them, you figure so many genres, so many artists, and different degrees of controversy and possible allegations in many artists' careers, right? Even, some even worse than the ones that were initially punished, that were, you know, it, those being uh, XXX and R. Kelly. So for an organization like Spotify, it is a very slippery slope to start enforcing any any sort of repercussions for allegations. And plus, as a society, we have to be mindful that allegations are not guilt. You know, you're not guilty. That that is not fact. And I guess we just need to learn to withhold judgment. Um, definitely don't doubt victims, but just withhold judgment before, especially before enforcing any sort of repercussions to accusations that have not been proven to be factual. You know, so although it is, again, the effort is admirable, they do, the showing that they do care about these accusations they're just entirely not in the right position to be making these decisions so i'll give them that and i'll end it there i do think they corrected it um but yeah initially it was very reactionary to me and uh it got into real gray territory very fast and uh you know as much as it, it just xxx his representation did have a point um saying that if you're going to enforce these standards on our artists and other artists such as R. Kelly, you need to hold that true across the board because, you know, otherwise it just seems like discrimination to a couple of artists, right? So you really don't have a standard in place. You're just trying to make a public statement at the expense of, at the expense of our artists, and we're going to call you out on that. So good on them as well. Um, yeah, I think that's where I end up. Spotify is just entirely not in the position to be making these decisions uh funny enough not really funny but it relates quite well um we have a story now on trippy red being arrested for aggravated assault and battery so though trippy red was announced as one of the newest double xl freshmen it wasn't a celebratory day for the 18 year old star on tuesday red born michael lamar white the fourth was arrested or the yeah, the fourth, was arrested for alleged, allegedly hitting a woman over the head with a gun. Uh, in an email sent to Billboard by the officer Lisa Bender of the Atlanta Police Department, Red was charged with battery and aggravated assault. On June 12, 2018, at around 1.15 a.m., officers responded to a dispute with a weapon call at 50 Lake, Lakeland Drive in northwest Atlanta. Upon arrival, officers spoke with the victim who advised she had been struck in the head with a handgun by Mr. Michael White. Uh, the victim advised she had come to the location but was told to leave, reads a statement sent by Atlanta PD. As she began to leave, Mr. White struck her on the head with a handgun and pointed the weapon at her. Mr. White advised he did not strike her and wasn't sure how she was injured. Officers observed a bump on the victim's head where she advised she was struck. Mr. White was taken into custody and charged with battery and aggravated assault. Grady EMS responded to the scene to treat the victim on the scene. Uh, two weeks ago, Red was arrested after being embroiled in the heated skirmish with Atlanta rapper FDM Grady. In a video obtained by TMZ, Grady claimed that he jumped by that he was jumped by Red and three other men after accusing the Dark Knight Dumbo star of being disrespectful to his lady. At the time of the story, TMZ reported that Red was charged with battery. So not looking good for Trippy Red. It's always, I mean, again, we can't, we can't uh, assume that he's guilty. I hope that he's not, but likely if you're if you're partaking in this activity, it, it doesn't seem out of character, unfortunately. And it is really unfortunate because he's so young, promising. You know, he's already in, in the midst of, 
he, he sees success at this point. And then, you know, so many stars like him tend to then act out. And whether it's because they, they in their mind, they're bigger than the world, they, they can really do anything, or they just, you know, are under the influence, maybe lose control, whatever. Um, although I do hope that it's not true, uh, given that it is true, I hope that we see just punishment. Um, so unfortunate. I mean, I'm a fan of Trippy Red, at least some of his music. So this is unfortunate to see. But um, also, I guess I guess it somewhat relates uh, with Trippy Red being a double XL freshman this year and all. Um, kind of hilarious. Recently on a Breakfast Club interview, Double uh, XL's editor in chief Vanessa Staten. Uh, she she had some funny things to say about Rich the Kid. So, of course, um, what the, what the fuck was his name? Lil Skies. Lil Skies turned down the invitation. He was voted the fan favorite, and for whatever reason, I, I'm sure there was a reason behind it. Um, he had some issue with the process, I believe, but uh, for that reason, he chose not to participate. And um, so they had a tent spot open, right? It's just with scheduling. And everything, it's unlikely that you're going to get, you know, a rapper that's available in that day. Like, that moment is, is when it would have to take place. Well, I guess um, Vanessa Staten had mentioned that Rich the Kid came up to XXL and made demands that if he were to be put on the cover, that a fellow rapper were to also be put on the cover. I, I can't forget the dude, or I can't remember the dude's name right now. Um, but it's not like he was a no-name artist. I believe he's a New York artist that many people had mentioned that he should have been on there uh, this year. But So it's not like he was no-name, but still. So she told him no, which makes sense, because if you do, you know, you do it this once, it sets a precedence going forward. And now every artist can use that as a bargaining tactic to get themselves and a plus one on the fucking list. And so, um, that makes sense. Just odd that you would think that you can just manipulate, you know, the freshman list like that. Not that it's something so, you know, to hold in such high regard, but, you know, it, it's a business. You need to respect it and not just think that your demands will be met. Um, but then he follows up those demands with asking if he could then... If, if he does get on the cover, if he could be put in a throne with all of the other rappers sitting around him, which is just fucking ridiculous. Like, first off, who do you think you are? And second off, you know, how is everyone else going to take to that? You know, essentially being sunned on the fucking cover. Like, yep, this is the king, and I'm acknowledging it because I'm in the photo right next to him. I, I don't know what type of shit Jay, uh, Rich the Kid was on. Um, but, yeah, so just odd funny and and then he eventually i guess asked if he could wear a crown to which she said sure you know just uh you know you just need to justify why you're wearing the crown and you know and then i guess from there the negotiation went through and she went to get his wardrobe ready and at the, which at which point he left so just an odd exchange entirely and rich the kid like what the fuck man um, I just thought it was hilarious. I wanted to bring it to light for you guys. Uh, so maybe you could get a laugh out of it. And um, yeah, just eye-opening to his character, I guess. I don't know. Seems kind of outlandish, the, the demands, at least to me. But um, I guess that that's what will happen when you sell records. You'll get ego, right? And uh, that very much seems like the case here. But uh, all right. Now, next, we have a very interesting article on uh, probably the most, ex like, the thing that I was most excited to cover today, um, on Kanye West's bipolar disorder and the shaky science of the tortured genius. So, Kanye West's surprise album, titled Ye, uh, dropped Friday. It's tangled verses addressing everything from Stormy Daniels to his controversial Slavery Was a Choice tirade uh, to being the father of daughters in the age of hashtag MeToo. But Ye's cover art included a blatant confirmation of West's bipolar disorder with the phrase, I hate being bipolar, it's awesome, scrawled across a majestic image of the Grand, Teton, of the Grand Tetons in Wyoming. 
Embedded with the lyrics are raw, painful recollections of suicide ideation. The most beautiful thoughts are always besides the darkest. Today, I seriously thought about killing you. I contemplated premeditated murder. And I think about killing myself. And I love myself way more than I love you. So, West also raps about his bipolar disorder. That's my bipolar shit. That's my superpower. Ain't no disability. I'm a superhero. I'm a superhero. Uh, followed by, I believe, a disgruntled scream, but they don't include that here. Um, the rapper has long hinted at the fact that his mental illness has been key in his musical ability, particularly in his previous album, The Life of Pablo. In feedback, he hints that his mental illness, his mental illness's role in his work. Name one genius that ain't crazy. I've been out of my mind a long time. Similarly, in FML, he references a drug used to treat anxiety. See, before I let you go, one last thing I need to let you know. You ain't never seen nothing crazier than this dude when he's off his Lexapro. But being the tortured, but the tortured genius myth, the idea that the melancholy and the demons deep within a person's mind might help explain their otherworldly talent in art is one that science has been unable to positively prove. History is rife with examples of tortured geniuses, from Vincent Van Gogh to Ernest Hemingway to Amy Winehouse. In 2015, a study in Nature Neuroscience claimed to have found proof of such a correlation. The ability to be creative requires being able to challenge a status quo, not fall in line. Could people who were mentally ill have their brains wired to act differently to automatically think of alternatives? The researchers used the genetic and medical information of 86,000 Icelanders, a group that is genetically homogeneous and isolated. From this group, the researchers identified genetic variants, or mutations that didn't run normally. Those variants showed that people who carried them had twice the risk of schizophrenia and were about 33% more likely to have bipolar disorder. The researchers then looked at how likely it was that these variants were members of national of national art societies and found that there were 17 there was a 17% increase in likelihood that they had markers of these variants compared to others in the Netherlands and Sweden as well the pattern seemed to hold creative genius creative people tend to display a higher likelihood of having mental disorder variants immediately the headlines rolled in with people suggesting that finally finally the tortured genius stereotype has actually been proven true except a few things were problematic. The populations the study drew from were isolated and highly homogeneous. Simply put, genetic variants were more likely to occur because people had very similar DNA types. The study also measures artistic ability based on membership in organizations, but it's very possible that an artistic person could be artistic and not be a member of any organization. And who's to say, that, who's to say what is artistic anyway? Self-serving bias may play a role here. Uh, most damning was the fact that the variation in artistic ability was found to be teeny tiny, nearly ignorable, just 0.25%. As David Cutler, an Emory University geneticist, told The Guardian, if the distance between me, the least artistic person you are going to meet, and an actual artist is one mile, these variants appear to collectively explain 13 feet of distance. It's, an, it's also an issue of selective data and how you define creativity. Creativity, after all, is not, exclusive, is not exclusively of the domain of fine art and music and movies. Creativity is tackling a problem with fresh insight and with a unique and with a unique approach that challenges what is accepted. In 2014, Albert Rothenberg, a Harvard psychiatrist, published Flight from Wonder, an investigation of scientific creativity, and found that of the 45 noble laureates he interviewed, there was no evidence of a link between mental illness and their creativity. A 2010 overview of bipolar disorder and creatively and creativity in the journal Clinical Psychology Review tackled this stereotype head-on and focused on the bipolar disease West claims to have. The researchers found that the relationship between bipolar disorder and creativity seemed to be non-linear. That is, there isn't a clear connection between having the mental illness and being creatively gifted. In fact, studies in the meta-analysis seem to suggest that those who had more severe forms of the disorder had difficulty being creative. More likely than not, however, the researchers say that it can be argued that the association between creativity and bipolar disorder likely arises from a partly shared subtrait 
in personality traits and cognitive affective processes. Uh, in other words, the personality traits associated with being bipolar might lend themselves more to being creative and thinking outside the box, but does not directly lead to a spike in creativity. Which makes West's decision to frame his mental illness as his superpower one that comes with two sides. On one hand, West's honesty about his mental illness and the fact that he doesn't have shame about it is one that mental health community that the mental health community has long heralded as key towards erasing stigma around the subject. Celebrities occupy an important, powerful pedestal when it comes to the shame associated with having a mental illness. The idea that one might be crazy or unfit to produce work that can be appreciated by the greater public. With, with his open and honest embracing of his mental illness and acceptance of its part as as it as part of who he is, West joins the ranks of the late Carrie Fisher and Mariah Carey in taking control of his narrative. He's got a bipolar disorder, so what? It's his superpower. But therein is the tricky aspect of his taking ownership of his bipolar disorder and making it his superpower. He embraces the tortured genius stereotype that science has found to be questionable and in fact makes, this, makes for a stigma onto itself. Love him or hate him, West is undeniably a force of a culture and his rapping ability stems from his ability to weave lyrics together in unusual ways and speak about his experience in moving ways and his ability to unfold in his experiences as a human being and man struggling with mental illness. Uh, neuroscience, in fact, might play a role in West's talent. A 2016 case study in Neurocase analyzed a 55-year-old right-handed male with normal hearing and no history of neurological disorders. To understand musical creativity, the researchers used a functional MRI and scanned the man's brain while he performed a variety of creative tasks, painting, composing music, listening to a wide range of tunes. Uh, for sure, who the fuck says tunes? Um, they found the man's mind seeming, seemed to group songs together that he liked away from those that he didn't seem to like, with these being further subdivided by key, tempo, motif, and orchestration. The brain of this man, who was later amusingly revealed to be the musician Sting, indicated that the musically talented had hyper-organized minds that were attuned to different aspects of music in ways that others might not be. In other words, Kanye West is Kanye West because of his skill and ability, in spite of, not because of, his mental illness. So, a lot here, a lot to unpack. Um, first off, just a fascinating article going against the stigma, you know, and just hearing that, that perspective, uh, I appreciated that in itself. So this article in general was very thought-provoking for me, um, fascinating, and uh, I don't know, of course, so Kanye West is not his disposition, but he's also not Kanye West without it. You know, he's not defined by his disorders, but he's also not himself without them. So, you know, kind of like every aspect of this person's mind and their brain contributes to who they are as an artist and in turn the art that they create. So um, I, I think the question here is then can you extract that data or in this case that statement that, okay, if you have certain types of disorders, you're at a higher likelihood to be artistically talented. Um, I don't know if this article, if the studies done in this article are sufficient enough for me to say either way, yes or no. Um, but I've thought about this article and this topic almost the entire week, and I'll continue to think about it. And, uh, and it was, you know, again, it was very thought provoking for me. So I in turn wanted to share it with you guys and hopefully have you guys thinking about the subject and just kind of ask yourselves, you know, what you think about it. And, um, you know, I might even come back to it if I have any conclusions I come to or any findings that I think are interesting enough to share with you guys. Um, but for now, I just wanted to put it out there. So hopefully you guys find it as interesting as I did and still do. Now on to the upcoming sneaker release review. So let's see. First we have today, uh, the 15th, the Nike PG2, the bait. Um, a simple colorway, orange and blue uh, and 
I don't know. I mean, it looks it looks fine for what it is. It's uh, looks very athletic. I like the colorway in, you know, it, it just exudes athleticism, I guess, an athletic aesthetic, if you will. Um, now, next, we have the Nike Vandal 2K Surprise. This is a women's shoe. It's particle beige and summer white. Um, I don't know, very extreme. These double-soled platform shoes are interesting for sure. Uh, I would like to see how this is pulled off. I don't I don't know how one would pull this off. But uh, the colorway is pretty nice. I mean, with a very light green. At least it looks like on the webpage, a very light green outsole. I think accents the colorway perfectly. Um, but yeah, interested to see how that's pulled off. Uh, then Now we have the Nike Air Vapor Max Plus Be True in the black multicolor colorway. Um, I really do like the multicolor air bubble. Uh, I think it looks dope. And I like the color blocking that the black midsole and black cage provides. But um, I don't know. It's it's a come up if, if this interests you. It interests me not enough to copy. Uh, a bit extreme for me to copy. Um, but the, the cause is dope. I really like that Nike does this. The Be True collection. Um... All right, now we have the Nike Air Max 98 SE Anthracite, uh, the and black anthracite, dark gray, uh, and white colorway. Very simple. I mean, it'll likely go on sale, um, but you can't go wrong with it. You know, a very simple colorway. You can wear it with fucking everything. Um, now we have the Nike Air More Money Flush with Cash, and it is the Wolf Gray Island Green colorway. Um, a very simple colorway. I like the I like the colorway. Um, the shoe just seems very bulky. Uh, this it seems like a low. It, I don't know if they cut some off of the ankle, but um, it seems very bulky in this. Maybe it's just in this colorway, the way that the gray sits on the black. I don't know, but um, the colors aren't bad. I think the colors look very good together, but uh. As a whole, the the shoe just the silhouette entirely looks too chunky. All right, now we have the Nike K the Nike Kyrie for power is female. Um, so the light aqua and neon turquoise colorway. Uh, I I think it's pretty dope. It's very loud. Um, but again, a basketball shoe if that matches your colors, dope. You know, otherwise, uh, a bit too loud for me. All right, now the Nike LeBron Soldier 12 SFG. I don't care too much for this, for the whole silhouette, man. Um, I wonder how the lockdown plays, though. You know, I really do wonder if it's sufficient for basketball play or if it was more of an aesthetic decision that doesn't implement as well to actually playing. Um, but yeah, I, nothing special. I do like the blue on this, if that's worth anything you know, the slate blue color, um, but other than that, very, uh, I don't know, I'm very indifferent about the, the silhouette as a whole, all right, now we have the Adidas Profear in the trace pink colorway, this is a grade school, um, I don't know, man, I mean, I guess, yeah, for your, for your kids, for your daughters, sure, it's a very extreme silhouette, um, then we have another Adidas Pro Fear. Uh, this one's a women's colorway, the clear mint and solar red colorway. Uh, not terrible, but again, a very loud silhouette. And this colorway is doing nothing to, to calm it down. Um, so if you're a loud person, you're a loud female out there, this one's for you. Uh, another fucking Adidas Pro Fear. God damn, how many? I guess we have four of these. So this one is a women's colorway again in the Trace Maroon noble maroon and solar red colorway um a bit more calmed down a bit more muted but i don't know i mean if it's your thing it'll definitely go on sale so wait for it um now lastly we have the adidas pro fear in the in a grade school colorway that colorway being the raw gray and cloud white colorway so uh this one kind of dope i mean a, a very simple slate blue um yeah i mean it it, do, it is fitting as a kid silhouette i'll say you know with it being so extreme in you know aesthetically 
Um, but I don't know. Yeah, if your kids are into it, copy uh, some of the women's colorways. Girls, if you're feeling them, cop them. Um, all right, now we have, now onto the 16th, we have the Nike Air Max 97 Plus in the silver shark colorway, that being metallic silver and midnight navy. I think this has a dope retro athletic aesthetic. Um, yeah, I mean, for 175 I, I can't say confidently that it'll go on sale, so if it's your thing, cop it, but um, I really fuck with this colorway on this shoe. Um, Alright, now the Adidas POD S3.1 or S3.1. I thought we went over this last week, but I guess it got pushed back to this weekend. Um, for 130 again, it has a very dope tech wear vibe, um, and most tech wear is pretty fucking astronomically priced so you're kind of on you're, you know you're coming up if you get this one um i fuck with it man i like the subtle hits of color the blue and the green on a mostly black sneaker uh i fuck with it i really like it and for 130 you know again not that bad uh all right now the 18th we have the nike kd 11 so i forget what previous iteration it was but it was a numbered iteration, so and it and it almost completely copied the one before. It looked like a, an elite version of the one before. It might have been the KD9, if I remember correctly. Um, but I say that to say that I appreciate that this is an entirely new direction from the previous one. Um, I don't care too much for it overall. It, it hopefully it plays well and serves its purpose uh, aesthetically as far as for you know, just casual wear, I mean, I haven't been casually wearing basketball sneakers for a while now, but, uh, it's, it's simple, non-offensive, especially in this colorway, um, so, and, and for 150, I applaud that, it's not the, the lowest price, but it's not extreme, and, uh, I, I fuck with that aspect for sure, um, all right, now the 20th, the Parlay and Adidas, Ultra Boost 4.0 in the Legend Ink Carbon and Blue Spirit colorway. I like this. I like this colorway. Um, it's a very subtle colorway, like a, a very subtle deviation from being entirely black. Um, and then the all white outsole uh, or all white midsole and outsole, I fuck with. Uh, a very simple colorway. Um, if you're looking forward to getting an ultra boost or you want to support the parlay cause, I don't think you can go wrong here. Um, all right, now on 621, we have the Off-White and Nike Air Presto 2018 All Black for 160. Um, if you guys know, you know, you know, just try and cop it and you, you have the come up if you get your hands on them. I don't know if these will sell astronomically. It seems like if they were a part of the initial 10, you know, with the, that being the collection between Virgil Abloh and Nike, the 10 sneakers, um, there seems to be a pattern of if, if the sneaker was in the initial 10, it has a higher resale value. And if it wasn't, it tends to be lower. But um, I feel like if you fuck with these to wear or if you fuck with them just to make money, I get it. Um, you really can't go wrong. I wonder the numbers on these. That's what I'm most I'm mostly interested in to see how, how, uh, if they up the numbers, or if they're just as hard to get as before, um, but yeah, I mean, you can't go wrong with all black, very subtle design cues, but also very pronounced, you know, even with it being an all black sneaker, I fuck with that aspect of it, now mind you, we also have, on the same day, the 21st, the off-white Nike Air Presto 2018 white releasing, um, I feel like this is destined to get dirty, so if you fuck with that aesthetic and you want your shoes to look beaten, go after this one, but otherwise, you know, if you get your hands on this one, I would focus on resale, if you're, you know, if you get pissed about your sneakers getting dirty, um, cause these are gonna be a dirt magnet, so, especially with the fuse on the toe, I mean, yeah, these are destined to get fucked up. Um, but a dope-ass silhouette, man. I, again, I can't say enough of how much I appreciate what Virgil is doing, uh, with Nike and for Nike. I mean, for the Prestos, 
I, I, I never fucked with the Presto silhouette, but this one just has such unique design cues. Uh, call me a hype beast, if you will. I, I fuck with it. Um, so good luck to any of you. And uh, yeah, I mean, for 160, that sounds so unreal to even be able to think Off-White and Nike and the 160 price tag. But yeah, you can't go wrong with trying your, your luck. So best of luck to you guys. Um, Alright, so also on the 21st, we have the Nike Kyrie 4 and 7 in the, uh, it doesn't have a specific colorway, it looks navy and off-white, or it might just be black and off-white, um, I don't know, simple colorway, I, I fuck with it, I like the little bit of marbling that they're doing on the outsole, but, um, and it looks like it has a unique, uh, specialized heel cup for this iteration, and I fuck with that, but otherwise, maybe for play, you know, maybe for actual on-court play, otherwise, you know, just another colorway, um, nothing, nothing that special, I'll say, all right, now we have the Nike Air Force One Low N7, and I can't even tell on this photo what texture it has, it's like an off-white, and with a black swoosh, I like the stitching on the swoosh, um, but the stitching is loud enough in itself that I wish that was the only, the only changed design or like the only standout uh, design on this sneaker. But the entire upper is textured in some pattern, some zigzag pattern. I can't quite tell what material it is. Um, but yeah, for 120, it's to support a good cause. Yet again, I fuck with Nike for doing that. Uh, the standout of the pack, in my opinion the nike air max one and seven in this blue dyed colorway now on here it says women's i hope that it's unisex sizing because uh i believe i've seen this also labeled the acid wash i fuck with it man it has a predominantly white upper a multicolored swoosh that's like um i don't know i guess i don't even think you would call it holographic um there's a term I can't fucking remember, but it changes color like in the light and um, and yet yeah, the upper being mostly white with like subtle spots where it's dyed blue. I fuck with it. I think it's a very dope, uh, definitely the dopest in the collection. Um, all right. Now we have the Nike Air Vapor Max 97 Metallic Max. This was the one that the toe box just does not add up in most photos. It doesn't match up. It's not seamless at all. And it looks fucking clunky. I do not fuck with the sneaker at all. Um, if you do and you get it in person and it's not as clunky, uh, which I'm hoping it's not, um, let me know. But otherwise, until I'm convinced, at least until I'm convinced otherwise, the toe box looks entirely fucked in most of the photos that i've seen of this sneaker so be beware um also okay so now the last sneaker the adidas sobakov i believe i'm pronouncing that right i don't I, actually i don't fucking know but um i really like what they did with the three stripes on this um it just has a unique it's a unique take on the three stripes um and yeah i fuck with it for 120 you can't go wrong this is the black uh, a black and white colorway with a gum sole. I mean, you literally, that is like the recipe for you can't fuck that up, you know? Um, so I don't know. I fuck with it. And 120, not bad at all. All right. That concludes the upcoming sneaker release review. So now I wanted to finish today's podcast off with a article on why your brain involuntarily sees opinions you agree with as facts and just how to be mindful of it and um question opinions you agree with you know question or, or rather just question why you think the way you do why you agree with an opinion don't just look for other opinions to you know uh that, that agree with your your outlook to harden your perspective, you know, and then I feel like from that, we just get more and more stubborn, um, so these days, it seems like there's more arguing over what counts as fact, 
and what counts as an opinion than should ever be necessary. Well, we have bad news. The trouble doesn't start with fake news. It starts with your brain. We already know that your interpretation of facts can vary wildly depending on your beliefs. Confirmation bias and the backfire effect are always going to shape the way you interact with your world. But according to a new report on a phenomenon known as involuntary opinion confirmation, you might have a hard time sorting out the facts in the first place. That's because when your brain is exposed to an opinion it agrees with, it automatically slips it into the facts folder of, for your mental filing cabinet of your mental filing cabinet. Uh, it all comes down to the Stroop effect. If the name of a color is printed in a different color, the word green printed in orange, for example, your brain will often struggle to name the color of the ink. It's already been filed in, into the green category, and it's hard to shift gears and recategorize it as orange. In this study, led by Anat Merrill at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem, participants showed that the same, the same thing is true when it comes to analyzing the truth of a statement. See, the Stroop effect has a corollary known as the epistemic Stroop effect. When people are asked to correct the spelling or grammar of written statements, they're fastest at saying factual statements are written correctly than they are at false ones. And as it turns out, the same is true of opinions they agree with. All the researchers had to do was give them a grammar test full of opinions, like the internet has made people more isolated, or the internet has made people more sociable. Time the response and ask, and ask later about which of the opinions they most agreed with. Their brains responded to the opinions they agreed with as if they were undeniable facts. One other test the researchers performed was to have the participants identify opinion statements like coriander is tasty or coriander is disgusting as either positive or negative, pressing yes for positive and no for negative. They were quicker to say yes to opinions they shared, regardless of whether the statements were positive or negative. Again, that suggests that people are generally primed to respond in the affirmative to subjective information they agree with. That could be a major roadblock to a rational argument if you're not watching out for it. The good news is the study also demonstrated a new tool for psychologists to use when they're on the lookout for information biases. Um, so, I don't know, man. I, I mentioned this article to just bring awareness and have you guys mindful um, that the next time, you know, maybe that you're looking for something to support your argument or your opinion that you instead look at the opposing argument why you so instead of looking at why you may be right and and articles like like so for example say you're looking up um or you're you're wondering you have a, a feeling that aliens are real and that's what you believe right so instead of looking up articles on why aliens are real and evidence that aliens are real Look up the opposite. Look up the opposing opinion. Why aliens aren't real. Why aliens don't exist. You know, and, and this is kind of a random example, but I feel like it fits. And uh, yeah, so just be mindful that even your brain is working against you. It's not just you that has bias. It's, it's the way that our, our mind works. Um, so now that you're mindful of it, you can also hopefully combat it effectively to have a more reasonable opinion or just to expand your mind entirely um so with that being said just know that i fucking love you guys and um i appreciate you each and every one of you and i'll be talking to you guys on the next podcast peace